Hey everybody, this is Aid, and welcome to the Sunny 16 podcast. This is episode 14 and I think I have my co-host's alter ego with me on the show this week. Um, before he went away on his holidays, he was a sort of chemist come screwdriver man, sort of mangling cameras and playing with chemicals. Mostly though, the last week he's been posting phone selfies. <laughs> Graham, how are you buddy? How was your holiday? Uh, hey, this is fantastic. I've uh, just flown back from Wales, and boy, are my arms tired. Um, that was a lie. Obviously, I came from Wales. I didn't fly at all. <laughs> I, I drove, and it was Wales, so it was pissing down with rain. Um, but no, I had a, a great week's holiday. It's great to be back. As the phone selfies uh, may have indicated, it wasn't perhaps the best week of photography that uh, I've ever had. Um, as when you went away, you said, oh, I was right. I should have taken colour film and I got the kudos for that. I'm going to take this opportunity to say, Aid, you were right. Oh, OK. When you, yeah. When you have two kids and you're mostly responsible for them, you do not get much time to get out and do your own photographic. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. 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 We'll talk about what I did get around to in a minute, but um, it's good to be back. I, I feel like I've been quite unplugged this last week, not knowing what's going on and what's happening in the world of photography. So it's exciting to be back and just get my hands on everything and get to play with Ronald as well. And that was the most heartbreaking thing, stepping away from Ronald just after taking taking him under my wing. You didn't get to take him on your holiday then? No, no, I didn't. I think it was just as well I didn't in the end. Uh, that would definitely have been a large lump of metal and uh, unused in a bag. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's difficult enough to find the time and the opportunity to shoot a camera like that, even if you haven't got two kids in tow. But uh, I know your kids are a bit older than mine, but there's no way I'd have been able to do anything like that, um, uh, which is why I went with a, you know, a point-and-shoot film camera for my holiday. But, uh, yeah, OK, well, I'm glad to hear it, uh, that you've had a good time, that is. Um, uh, no photography stories to talk about to share at all it's going well, no, to be I mean, a short I, I, show this week no no i mean i did okay so first of all i think i did quite well because i obviously went hoping to get some opportunities to take some picture but i did whittle down my list of cameras that i was going to take with me um i think when we spoke in the holiday show we did my list was somewhere around nine cameras when i'd worked out everything i thought i might take with me and in the end i got that down to a pretty respectable I'm just doing the quick mental math in my head here. Five, I think. I took um, my pinhole camera, my wooden undo pinhole camera, which I took all of one shot with. That still uses about 30 feet of film now, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> that counts for a good three Holger shots, so that's something. <laughs> I took my uh, Zeiss Icon Super Iconta, uh, my lovely little 645 medium format folder, which I did not use at all. Uh, that stayed in the bag and was a complete waste of time. Um, but the other three cameras all got used. I, uh, the one I mostly used, I took the uh, Canon Shot AF waterproof camera, which I've talked about before, and that got quite a lot of use because where we were staying is over in West Wales and we were 10 minutes away from the nearest beach and not many more minutes away from quite a lot of other beaches. So we headed down there quite a lot and it was the perfect opportunity to take that in, splashing about in the sea and mucking around. Um, I finished one roll of film and I'm most of the way through another roll of film so I'm going to try and get the first roll of film developed this week and blast through the last few shots on the other one uh, I have no idea whether the waterproof seals really held or not we're going to find that out uh, it's still working it's definitely still working and I didn't actually use it underwater very much um, it was mostly just in 
I was standing on the seat taking pictures and it was getting splashed a bit. But because you know you have to try these things out, I did hold it fully underwater and take a couple of pictures because you've got to test these things to destruction. If it's going to leak, I want to find out now. Um, I have to say quite a few bubbles did seem to come out from it. Ooh, when I did uh, it. Mm, that could be a, a fun one then. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, the flash fired, it wound on, and certainly the first film auto rewound just fine when it's finished. So I'm, I'm hopeful. Um, but it was a nice, easy camera to use. It's, it's a point and shoot. Um, it's... Uh, because of its colour, and particularly when it's in its little carrier, it's got a little red carrier, and it's got a nice red strap. And so when I was down at the beach in my shorts, t-shirt off, looking middle-aged as I do, and um, with this thing over my shoulder, I looked like a real cut-price David Hasselhoff as I ran around the beach. You know, like in the Baywatch <laughs> when he's got that thing. So that was pretty great. Um, <laughs> that sounds good. Okay, so you made an impression on the locals then. Yeah, um, it's amazing actually. After the first day we spent there, the beach was almost empty the rest of the week. I'm not sure whether the two events are linked or not. Right. <laughs> the other cameras I particularly like to talk about this week, because when we spoke last week, I said that I picked up some of the Kodak Vision um, cine film to use, and I was in a bit of a predicament because I didn't have it's non-DX coded, and I didn't know what cameras I was going to use it in um, because I wanted to have some light metering capabilities, ideally to make life easier. And then I had a brainwave, which is unusual for me, and remembered that I own a Canon. I think it's 30E, I think is the model. Right. Um, so this is one of the, the Canon late model film cameras. Um, it's an SLR camera. I actually own my first digital SLR camera was the 30D. The 30E is to all intents and purposes exactly the same. It looks exactly the same. The functionality, the, the, the handling is almost identical, but it's a film camera. And... I haven't really used it very much. I shot a roll of slide film through it last year and it came out very nicely. Um, but I just haven't used it since then because I have a lot of cameras and they get cycled through. But this camera offers so much flexibility. I can, it copes with non-DX coded film just fine. You can um, manually input the ISO, not a problem at all. And whilst looking through the manual to find out how to do this, it really made me realise what a great useful tool this is and that I ought to be using it more because things like multiple exposures, you can do up to nine exposures on a single frame before moving it on. Nine? Uh, wow. Yeah, nine. Um, obviously, it hands things like automatic bracketing. It's got... Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for when you take more than one shot at a time? Not rapid fire, but you know what I mean, rapid fire. <laughs> um, machine gun mode. Machine gun mode. It's got... Um, a few different metering options. So it's a good, flexible thing. And I was using that with the 50 ISO film and my um, Canon 50mm 1.8 Nifty 50 lens, which is a great lens. It was always my favorite lens on the DSLR. And it, lovely to use that again on this. And it's nice because it's lighter than the DSLR. Um, and although it is a modern plasticky camera it still feels nice to use it's still got that really satisfying click whir click whir it's just it's a nice tool and you have the benefit with when you're using a modern lens of autofocus which is a real treat because that's the thing you forget to go oh i can just point this um set up back button focus to separate things out and just 
get that nice little burst of modern goodness um, as a bit of a treat. Um, well, maybe not treat. Maybe that's not the right word. But no, I know what you mean. No treat could be. I, I can see how that'd be a treat. I was using my uh, my digital Fuji today. Uh, just taking a couple of photos of uh, the kids. And, um, yeah, it's nice sometimes to have those little mod cons, isn't it? Well, it's like you were saying about the fact that when you're out with the kids and you you want to be able to grab shots quickly and easily and you don't have time to really sit and think about it and sometimes you don't even have time to sit and focus properly because they're up and gone. Um, and I wanted something which would obviously one use this non-dx coded film and so my first thought was well what point and shoots have i got oh none that i can't use dx coded film in hmm. um but with this camera i get the benefit of all the flexibility for point and shoot i was shooting in aperture priority mode um entirely um but still basically like a point and shoot i you know i could very quickly and easily set the um, aperture that I wanted. It was great, lightweight, easy, one-handed use because the 50mm lens is so lightweight. And it was just nice to get it out again. Um, I think I'm about halfway through that roll of film, so I'm going to try and get through that over the next week or so um, so I can then delve into the dark room and try and deal with that remjet coating and see how that goes mm, yeah that doesn't sound like a huge amount of fun but you know uh hey at least it'd be a, a new experiment for you back back from the world of phone selfies so yeah it's um now i'm i can appreciate the whole aperture priority thing because that's kind of how my mind works i mean i pretty much run when i'm out with an slr i i, I run on aperture priority mode and if the sun comes in, if the sun comes out i put it down to f8 or if and if the the if it goes dark i'll put it to f4 and that's about it really and i and i let the aperture priority mode sort the rest out so uh, yeah so hopefully then uh, some perfectly exposed nifty 50 shots uh, that we'll see in either a short while <laughs> or depending on or a long or, while or never if yeah. they're a goddamn disaster well you know it'd be nice round about christmas to see what we are all doing back in august <laughs> oh, that's so common for me a lot of the time my holiday shots will appear about mm, eight nine months after i've taken them oh uh, well send, send them off to a lab uh, well no one's gonna deal with it because it's the cine film that's the problem i suppose i could send it to um Nick and Trick Photography, but as we mentioned in, I think it was last week's podcast, they're they're re re lavishing their lab over the next yeah. week, yeah, over the next month. So they're not doing any, but uh, no, I've I've got to do this. I want to have a go. I'm I'm, I'm excited to do it because the the day, obviously, the 50 ISO film is once again quite limiting, but with a 50 ISO film married with a 1.8 lens is not quite so bad and the weather this week apart from today where it has been disgusting um has been pretty good we got a couple of really nice sunny days and the one day in particular when i went out the boys went uh or everybody went to myself and my boys and Sinead and her son went out crabbing and so it was really lovely light and it's down the coast and i managed to get a couple of pictures down there so um i'm just hoping they come out at least as well as Sinead's iPhone picks did. Otherwise, uh, it's going to be upsetting. <laughs> it will be. But, then, you know, that, that sort of thing happens to me all the time as well. Okay. Well, hey, so whilst you're away, I did my best to, to keep the old social networks moving. I did. I have to say, I did feel a, spread a little bit thin, but I, I don't think I let you down, buddy. Uh, I don't think I insulted you on the internet too much whilst your back was turned. <laughs> well, that was a wasted opportunity. Yeah, it, well, 
Yeah, but one of us has to be the grown-up in the relationship, eh? <laughs> It's not going to be me. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I tell you what I did need your help with, though, and I missed you for, was that actually um, Neil Piper uh, and Cole Miller have both been uh, posting about new dev techniques uh, uh I forget which way around it is. I think it's Cole that was uh, doing his own development of black and white for the first time and looked like some interesting stuff coming out there. And uh, Neil's been diving into the world of C41. Um, Could have done with your help there. Um, But I think you may have been reading since you got back or caught up. So maybe have something to say on those. Yeah, I I did. I I jumped on um, the the forums when I got back and... And I think I've seen Cole's pictures before I went away. Um, he's been finally buckled under the pressure that we've been applying to everybody, um, and one day you will buckle too. Um, and he has bought, uh, I think he bought from first call, I think it was, I'm not sure. But anyway, he bought a black and white developing kit, which is fantastic. It's um, based around Ilford chemistry. I think it's Ilfosol 3 and Rapid Fixer. And he's had a go at doing his first film. Uh, and that first film is always the worst film because you're learning everything in that first shot. And I think he did have some problems, um, primarily just with loading that damn reel because it's really hard to do, uh, particularly if you're just going to try and load your first roll of film in the dark and just go for it. Um, I think when I did my first one, I'd actually tried with a few dud pieces of film beforehand just so I could get the feel of it in the light and still it was a horrible disaster and Cole ran into problems with his I think he got stuck halfway through and I think he ended up sort of cutting off part of the film and winding it back in and anyway the end result is his negatives got quite scratched up and you can see this in the pictures he shared them on the pixelated photographer forums and they're, they're pretty marked up I mean you could certainly restore most of them using Photoshop elephants, as we've talked about before, but it's going to take time and effort to do that. And that's it's upsetting when it's your first roll. You want things to go well. And unfortunately, the likelihood of something like this happening is pretty high. Um, and I'm going to mention again my number one pro technique, because I'm pretty sure it was 35mm that Cole was doing. If you're load- loading up 35mm film onto a reel, start it before you put it in the dark bag or in the dark room or whatever you're doing, all you have to do, I say all, this is based on the idea that you have the leader out, which is something I take for granted. If you're using a manual, um, fully manual SLR, this is easy enough to do because when you're winding it back using the little winder, just listen. You can hear when it comes off the reel at one end. You can hear that and just give it a couple more gentle winds and then stop then, take the film out, you'll have a bit of the leader left. If it's an automatic rewind film, it's a bit more difficult. But as I mentioned weeks ago, um, I highly recommend Ilford do a very cheap film retriever that you just put up against your film, push a couple of bits in, do a little twiddly thing with it, it's real easy, and then it pulls the leader back out. Once you've got this leader back out, you can trim the end off it and pull just enough of it out to get onto your reel and over the ball bearing so it's locked into place and you won't have exposed any more of the film than you will have done when you were loading it into the camera in the first place. Then shove it in the dark bag, you're off to the races 
and it's so easy um I've got quite big hands, so what I do is once it, I've got it on there and lights off or it's in the dark bag, I actually hold hold the cassette that the film is in between two fingers, and then I can just kind of literally just keep rotating the um, reel to get the film constantly pulling it out, so I don't have to pull it out and have it trailing about or anything like that. It goes straight from the one into the other, and it's really, really easy to do it like that. Sounds um, good, actually. It sounds sounds like quite a uh, a good little nifty trick. Which um, it also sounds like you've identified the the first item on the uh, the Christmas gift list for listeners to the Sunny Sixteen podcast. Yeah, it's it's amazing how because it, it, loading film onto the reels is the one part of home developing which still to this day is a bit of a bogey for me. I always go into it, not, not with 35mm now, because this method has just solved that problem for me. Ever since I've started doing this, never had a problem, because there's nowhere for there to be a problem. 120, not so much, but that's not been too bad lately since managing to better perfect the folding over and not completely creasing technique. Well, because you've got all the paper, haven't you, to deal with with the 120, and there's no canister that it sits nicely in, and you just have to sort of reel it out, I guess. Absolutely. And because it's wider, it's more flexible as well. So I think 120s, some people say they find it easier than 35mm, but I think for most people, 120 is just a bit trickier anyway, which is the reason why I think for your first roll, you're always better off trying 35mm. Because the only problem with 35mm is, especially if you shoot a 36 exposure roll, that is a long, long piece of film. So if you do just <laughs> pull it all out, you've just got this coils and coils of stuff in there and as you get hotter and sweatier trying to do it if you're doing it in a dark bag it all starts to get a bit moist in there and um the term the film sweats is very accurately applied yeah i can imagine because i think that's something that cole said he suffered from and then there was a post from ian k on the forum that said oh what it would be feel like to to live in a place where being too warm was a problem (laughs) yeah yeah he gets the film frostbite i think if he doesn't read it up quickly enough the digits drop off um yeah so i think it's it's a shame that Cole's first role came out like that, but I think it's almost a necessary initiation step. And the actual developing part of it, the negatives looks like they came out really nicely. So they it's did, just yeah. Building up part. And yeah. they were lovely shots, as always. Okay, um, so there's some words of wisdom for Cole. Uh, anything to pass on to Neil? Yeah, Neil is taking his first forays into colour developing, and obviously it would be ridiculous for me to offer any great nuggets of um, wisdom on that one. He seems to have had two problems. The first problem is that he's getting really inconsistent results when he's scanning the pictures in. So we have one frame that's come out quite nicely, and then the frame next to it, the contrast and the colour in this will be all over the place. And he's been wondering whether it's the developing process that's caused this, or whether it's the scanning, etc., etc. My feelings on that one are that it's probably the scanning, because scanning colour... Um, can really confuse a a scanning software, which is insane because that's what the stuff's supposed to do. Mm -hmm. But you can get two near identical pictures, but if the balance is off slightly, it will just throw them out completely. And so you have to really go through and fiddle about and tweak the settings. Um, But I do think that's much more likely to be a scanning problem. Um, But if anybody... As, and I'm, there are lots of people I know who have more experience of looking and scanning and dealing with colour film developing. 
please do come to the Pixelated Photographer Forums and cast your eye over these images and offer some better advice than we can. Because the other problem Neil's having is that some of his negatives have got um, noticeable streaking across the width of the negative. Not really strong, but definitely noticeable. And it's not caused by watermarks after the effect, which can cause all sorts of marks on the negatives because he's wiped them down with rubbing alcohol or something like that um, to clean it all off. It is That, I think, is definitely an artifact of an issue with the developing process. Um, I know that Ian Kay has been on there. He suggested it might be something to do with the agitation. Um, it could be something to do with maybe when they were loaded on, they weren't on the reel evenly. could be any number of things, but I'm sure that there's somebody out there who will be able to look at these pictures and go, oh, yeah, that's happened to me. That's what's caused this. Um, I know for me that when I'm developing black and white, um, I actually try to make my agitations quite gentle. Uh, I use, there's a little, with the film developing tanks, they give you this little swizzle stick. Um, you can go twizzle, 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 just to move stuff around. And I use that when I'm developing with my black and white, so as not to, to over-agitate it. But with the colour developing, it does say, agitate it quite vigorously when you do it, and also make sure to whack it and get the air bubbles out. Oh right, okay. Um, so it, it doesn't. It, you know, the stuff does need to be moved around. Whether or not that's the problem, I honestly would be talking out my butt if I said I knew. But please, like I said, anybody who's got more experience with C forty one, drop by and, and give us the benefit of your expert knowledge on that because it's it's deeply frustrating um, doing this. And I've been quite lucky, with the exception of the fact that my negatives have been hideously filthy. Um, that which is purely a process problem on my part. Um, so far I've had nothing but good consistent results without any obvious problems like that for my colour kit so um, it would be really nice if you can help Neil get this straightened out yeah absolutely it would yes please do listeners come along to the pixelatedphotographer.com forums and uh, join in the conversation something that uh, these kind of things definitely uh, a longer form conversations than the sort of thing you get on Instagram and Twitter uh, lovely though Instagram and Twitter are okay so that is a quick uh, run through your holiday uh, fun and uh, some technical stuff so after this short musical interlude I think we need to start talking about philosophy oh I like philosophy a bit of Nietzsche <laughs> yeah him too <laughs> okay Well, I promised philosophy, and I think uh, really what I mean is is a question of when is it that when is the point where shooting film photography or trying to be a photographer in general, uh, you run the risk of taking yourself a little bit too seriously. I try not to, Graham. I know you try not to. Uh, no, maybe not take myself very seriously. It's just nobody else does. That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that's the secret to happiness in life, isn't it? Take yourself too seriously and everybody else laughs. Yeah, yeah. I think that's my secret to life anyway. Well, yeah, okay. So I'm, I'm, I prefer to aim for people laughing with me rather than at me. But I... <laughs> so here's... <laughs> So here's the philosophical question, um, or collection of questions, I guess, a little bit of a, a philosophical ramble. Um, 
I've been shooting a lot recently uh, with Instax, but as you know, I don't actually own an Instax camera. So what I'm doing is I'm shooting digitally and I'm essentially printing to film. Now, I know that everybody or not everybody, but a lot of people are really comfortable these days with the idea of what they call a hybrid workflow, which is part analog and part digital. Um, 99.9.5% of the time, I think people think of the hybrid workflow as shooting film, uh, developing it, and then uh, then scanning it uh, and doing whatever they want for the, for their artistic vision, whether that's you know heavy photoshopping or something else, or whether they you know whatever it is, um, or even if it's just simply you know storing it digitally and then and then printing it to the or, or posting it to the internet. The 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 hybrid workflow always seems to start with the the analog film stage. Now, I've sort of flipped that on its head recently and said, OK, well, I'm shooting digitally because actually that gives me the chance to shoot with really good lenses, uh, which I, which it, instant cameras don't have. Um, and it also gives me a chance to play with things like flash photography. Uh, it means that I can print my Instax black and white if I want to. Um, but the end game for me, um, in fact, and I was actually doing this this afternoon, um, was shooting digital but with the instax print in mind so i was setting up my photography in um, you know composition so the instax mini is a really small format so you have to really fill the frame uh, and the lighting i was going for something you know i happened to be using a flash it was indoors i happened to be using a flash and but i was definitely shooting with the instax output in mind and i pinged a question onto instagram few days ago while while you're on your holidays uh, saying you know is this really film photography is it is it just nuts to shoot digitally and then print to film um do i run the risk of not being a film photographer and if i if i cared about that sort of thing because i quite like digital as well um uh, but does that make me some kind of uh, you know pretender um I had a, a, a shout back from at uh, uh, Bill Owens on Instagram, who we've been uh, you know, chatting with a little bit recently. Uh, I think his view was it, it, it. I think shooting digitally and printing to Instax, he says, is just within the realms of film photography. So, okay, maybe. You know, my own point of view is, I, uh, I'm, I'm going for an output. And the the camera and the film and what have you are just a tool, yeah, or just the tools I use to try and get the photograph or the image that I want. Um, and so, yeah, maybe it is film photography, maybe it's not. But actually, I quite enjoyed the photography I was doing this afternoon. I know Graham, you've mentioned this before as well about red scale film and 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 worrying that that sort of special effect thing is 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 just a crutch. And I wonder if you know shooting and digitally and printing to instax is is just pretend film photography but uh you know tell me i don't know when do we get a little bit too precious are we using film because it we believe it's better in some indefinable way and we can be snobs about it or are we trying to make art or is that all just a load of bollocks because it's just fun that we're having <laughs> what are your thoughts yeah i think this is a, an interesting conversation to have because um i i love the film photography community we talked about it last time and i really do think it is one of the 
richest, most diverse communities um, of interests just out there. And I suppose because of its breadth, you get um, all facets of opinion on this. Uh, I think you get people who are like yourself who just go, well, look, uh, film is part of what I do. It's part of the process. And, um, and I love what it brings to it, but it is not the be all and end all. But then you, you do also get other people who um, I think take it to quite an extreme with their belief that, um, yeah, what, you know, they would definitely not count what you're doing as film photography. I mean, and to a certain extent, I think, would I call what you've been doing with that film photography? Not really. I mean, not in the, the sense of, you know, film photography as defined by how we'd normally think of it, because really it's more like you're taking a digital picture and you're using a printer that just happens to have an analog medium as a way out that said the choice of the output medium you're using is affecting the choices that you're making taking the image um so it clearly is having an inference but i don't think that the choice of the output medium is actually uh, affecting the look of the picture beyond that because the Instax um, paper is it's going to look for the most part you've done far more experimentation with this than I am but it's not imparting anything particularly to the image that you aren't putting there does that seem fair to say uh, yeah and in fact yeah I do and in fact sometimes it it detracts because it you know it's um, you have to be you have to know a little bit about what the Instax film is going to do, to and, and you, you know um, and how it's going to process particular aspects of an image. Like it doesn't do great with massive dynamic range, for example, uh, and stuff like that. So you um, you have to understand the medium that you're outputting to. But it doesn't really particularly affect the creativity of the shot. It's more the production of the shot that it influences. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's perfectly valid because it does come right down to the the, the main thrust of it is which is why are we shooting film at all, um, and that answer is different for everybody, and so what you're getting out of it is a unique thing, and certainly for me, just as it is for what you're saying now, is that a large part of the enjoyment is not just the end result, but it's the process that you're going through, and the fact that you're getting more enjoyment out of going through this process and using the instance Instax printer and the Instax film to get these results than you would do if you had just shot it through an ordinary um, digital printer and got prints out that because you could have done that, and the end results would have been ostensibly the same, but it's not the same because you are putting limitations in place there and those limitations are affecting what you're doing. Um, yeah, so I, I agree with that, actually. it's it, You could do almost identical stuff entirely digitally because here in the UK we have um, uh, an online photo printing service called Photobox and you can upload photos to that and print them as you can with any other printing service, but they now offer... Uh, essentially a square format polaroid <laughs> um as as a, a print size um and you can upload your digital image entirely digital workflow and they will digitally print them on something that is a square format with a white frame around it and put it in a little box for you and send it send it to your house yeah yeah i mean you know, it's it's the look of things i mean yeah and that's things for some people 
what they want is they want the end product that looks like it was shot on film. They're not interested in the process. They're not interested in the experience of doing it. They just want the end result, whereas you're almost the exact opposite of that. Um, and, yeah, you're right earlier. You mentioned about the red-scale film. Uh, the last thing I did before I went away was I finally got around to developing this role of red-scale film. And funnily enough, our friend Bill Owens also commented on that. Um, and the comment he made, which was a, a very shrewd comment, was, I've never really seen the point of Red Scale film. <laughs> Why would I want to put a roll of film and be committed to it for the whole thing when I could just stick orange filters or red filters on either a film or a digital camera and take whatever pictures I wanted and then take them off when I don't want it? And he even went one step further with that thought. And he's posted some pictures on his Instagram feed that he took with his uh, Pentax digital camera with, I think, an orange filter on there. And they were interesting results. Um, and um, I would say that they have a different look to the red scale film, partly, you know, largely because it's a digital picture. So it has a different look just automatically. It doesn't look like film. Um but I don't disagree with Bill's point at all. Um, having shot that role myself, I would say that out of the 24 pictures, because for those who don't remember, this was just the role of the Agfa Vista 200 that I had rolled onto another roll film, so it was backwards and shot through. And the results came out quite nicely. I was quite pleased with them, but actually most of the things I was shooting weren't improved by being in red scale, quite the opposite. So most of the time that would have been better if those pictures had just been ordinary colour. There were a couple on there that I actually went, oh yeah, I, I really like that. I think I've shared one picture on Instagram um, out of the entire role, which I looked at and went, oh yeah, this one works. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I was really pleased with that. And if I just shot that on the Agfa colour as it was, it wouldn't have looked as good as it did um, because the the, the the scene would have been uninteresting as it was. But luckily, it, it worked nicely like that. Um, and I think, would I shoot Red Scale again? Um, I don't think it's going to be the kind of thing that becomes a crutch for me just to make something interesting because I think it's actually very challenging to make an interesting picture Red Scale. Um, it's not like, you know, we talked about a lot about using Holgers and stuff like that and the effects you get with that. And, you know, they you can get quite fun effects with those quite easily for a huge range of things. But a red scale picture, a good red scale picture, uh, is not actually very easy to do. Just making something red scale does not make it good. It does not make it interesting. And it can just actually far more easily ruin a picture. Um, I mentioned last time we were talking about this, that a story of pieces has been putting up a lot of red scale work lately. And he's somebody who goes out and shoots with a purpose and he's going to particular places with particular things in mind. And it really shows in his images. And if I was going to a particular place with a project in mind that I thought, yes, this would work in red scale, then I would do it again. However, I think for those one-off times where you think, ah, this might be cool and that, then I, I would go with filters because just having a camera with a roll of red scale in for the off off chance that you'll find something that fits, it doesn't make sense for me. I don't... I, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, um, and some of it, I suspect, is partly due to just ge geographical um, and aesthetic limitations. 
I live somewhere where most of what I'm seeing is green fields and, you know, woodlands and just, you know, that kind of stuff. And that, that doesn't lend itself to red scale particularly. It just doesn't work. It just looks messy. Whereas if you live somewhere with either more urban scenes or um, more arid landscapes, more dramatic scenes uh, with starker contrasts, um, I think those can look great and maybe you will find more uses there. Um, but uh, no, it, it was interesting to see somebody take a film approach and then try it digitally and go, well, look, see, I could do this with the digital. It's not quite the same, but it certainly was an end result that was pleasing to Bill and I think it looked nice. Um, but getting back to that original point that you made about what is film photography and what isn't, uh, I, don't, I don't think there's a line you can draw in the sand because it's going to be different for everybody. There, there are people who um, on Instagram who I see who post pictures and they, they make a point of saying, you know, this is raw, unretouched image because it's important to them that it has not been manipulated in any way, um, to be honest. And, and at some point in a future episode, I'd like to talk about post-production. You but, say that about every three episodes. <laughs> I know. At some point, we're going to get to it. Yeah. One um, day. <laughs> one day. Uh, believe me, it'll be before we talk about bloody bags on the show, that's for sure. Oh, you just lost us a listener. Jay was really looking forward to that episode. Yeah, whatever, Jay. Okay. But um, you know, just this idea of for a film photograph to really be a film photograph, it has to be unretouched and raw. I mean, I said, when you're sharing it on Instagram, I don't even understand how that's a thing because at some point that has been digitized. And when that image was digitized, choices were made. Um, so that, that whole concept is a little bit wonky in my brain. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's really about, what we get out of it at the end this is a hobby and or even if it's not a hobby if it's your profession um you're making the choice about what you're producing no one's forcing anybody to shoot film or shoot digital this is all something that we're all coming to as individuals and it's a wonderful world we live in where we can pick and choose the best of all worlds that works for us. As you said, whether it's the hybrid workflow one way or the other, um, whether it's using old lenses on modern cameras to get the the benefit of the look, which people should stop doing because they're making lenses too expensive. Um, however it works, there's, there's no right or wrong. But yeah, I think sometimes the film community can be, elements of the film community can be, quick to anger about what they perceive as um lines being blurred in a way they don't like mm, yeah yeah i think so i think you're right there's no there's no uh, one size fits all there's no right answer to this i have to say i did feel a bit of a fraud this afternoon when i took some shots uh, uh albeit with instax as an output in mind i then printed my instax uh liked what I'd achieved with it, um, showed it to my daughter and she liked what I'd achieved with it. And uh, then instead of posting the digital image to the internet, I used my telephone to take <laughs> a photograph of the Instax and then posted that to the internet instead. 
Yes, I, I, I think that's fine because no, I felt really sheepish. <laughs> I was like, no, uh, this isn't right in the slightest. <laughs> uh, to to quote, I mean, this is a philosophical philosophical. Oh, Jesus Christ, these long p words. Uh, this uh, is a philosophical talk. So, in the words of Plato, it, um, <laughs> because what by sharing that picture of all the instaxes there, what you're saying is. This isn't just an image that exists on on a screen somewhere. This is a physical thing that's here that people can pick up and look at and have fun with. Because Instax pictures are just fun, and you know they're a real thing that came out of a little printer thing, and it's that's fun. Being Instax automatically makes things more fun. Before I forget, actually, I want to pick up on something you mentioned right at the onset of this. You were saying about um, being able to use better lenses with. Uh, the Instax cameras, which they just don't have. And I wanted to draw people's attention to the fantastically named Instagram account. Um, it's our brother from another mother, uh, the Sunny 16 Photo Instagram account, um, who I wasn't aware of until we have been going a little while and um, caught up with his stuff. And he's doing great stuff. He is making uh, not... When I say making cameras, I don't mean like I make cameras. These are not shitbox <laughs> disasters held together by cardboard sellotape and optimism. These are beautifully crafted often. By the time it gets to the finished models, um, mostly it seems to be instant cameras. He's using the Instax uh, backs um, to do great stuff. And he's using all sorts of lenses he's getting out of old cameras and... Um, yeah, just building really beautiful, high-quality cameras to use with instant film. And the cameras themselves, I, I, I just look at them and, one, I want to have it because they're lovely. I'd love to be able to make it, but I look at the just the gulf between what he's doing and <laughs> my abilities. is so wide. And he's a, a, a lovely chap as well. He said to me, oh, you know, I can help you with it i can you know give you tutorial stuff like that if you want to help my like, oh man if only you knew how stupid i was you wouldn't even be bothering to try and offer help because i just can't um but people should absolutely look at his stuff because it's great he's um uh, and i think there's a whole maker community out there building stuff but he's these are not um not to disparage stuff that's being printed off using 3d printers you know he's hand carving wooden grips for these things and doing all sorts of stuff and it's yeah they're really lovely so i think there are ways around this issue of the lower quality lenses on the instant cameras um but they do require you go in distance with it a bit but yeah i've just been continuing to be impressed by his stuff and what a great twitter handle sunny 16 photo um yeah check him out i yeah i couldn't have thought that one up no, no. <laughs> if people only knew the list of names we went through to get to this one. Oh God! Now we still have that file on our Google Drive. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe we should show that one day. <laughs> Maybe not. At least the stuff that's not entirely um, too rude, even for the internet. Okay. All right. So I guess the jury is still out somewhat on the philosophy of of why we do things i i like to think that i don't take myself too seriously and i'm just playing really and sometimes i do things one way and sometimes i do things the other way and uh, so be it i'm having fun um, and hopefully the stuff that i i produce uh, will be interesting to somebody um, even if it's just my kids <laughs> we philosophized ourselves into a hole <laughs> 
Okay, for those of you that stuck with us through our dark philosophical segment there, um, we are now out onto the sunny side and we're at what is now named the shootouts and shoutouts section, uh, where we would like to uh, recognise everybody who has been talking with us in the last week or so and say thank you very much. So, first off, I have a couple. Uh, I'd like to say hi to somebody who's real name is easy to say and whose twitter handle is almost impossible so thomas weller uh, on twitter at build i think but i've probably murdered the pronunciation of that sorry thomas um uh, thank you for build a bear toilets <laughs> maybe maybe i have no idea anyway i wanted to say hi shout out uh, to thomas uh, thank you for sending a link to uh, a website where graham can make his own dx coding labels so this goes back graham to the podcast last week uh, where you were talking about not being able to get uh, use certain cameras because that you couldn't manually put in the iso um the link is on our Twitter account. Uh, I believe it was to something like instructables.com or something like that. And actually, uh, Thomas had said, you know, said, put that link up, said, this is where you can go. This is where you can learn to make your own DX coding labels. And that should solve your problems. So there you go, uh, Graham. That's awesome. That's because I've, I've not really kept up with uh, any of the social media in this week. So I will definitely check that out. And um, I will. you will have to remind me to make sure I put the link in the show notes. Um, <laughs> cool. but yeah, that's great. That's great. Because I would still really love to try some of this vision stuff in some of my more pocketable cameras so I can get used to them more rapidly. Excellent. All right, great. And so my second shout-out is to Alex Purcell. Uh, on Instagram, he is Purcell Alex, And on Twitter, no, it's not Twitter, sorry, on Flickr, he is Alex Purcell. And Alex has posted a couple of photographs uh, to our Flickr group uh, in the last week. Uh, thank you very much, Alex. And uh, I really like what you're doing there. Now, if I have read all the Flickr tags correctly, you are shooting a wide panorama Holger pinhole camera six by nine I think and uh, you've chosen to take photographs of moving things with it which is pretty <laughs> it's, actually I really like it so that these photos are of horses uh, a small uh, four or five horses uh, one photo is of the horses leaning over uh, a, a five bar gate uh, the other it looks like you're right in the thick of the horses either you're being run over uh, like in a sort of Ben-Hur style chariot race fashion um, or you're close to the animals <laughs> but yeah a, a pinhole shot of horses moving around that's I, I like it, it, it it's a good look I got galloped over by a horse once, and I'll be honest, I didn't think to stop taking a picture at the time. Um, but that's another story. But yeah, I like it. I, I love the fact that with the uh, one picture in particular, where the, the horses were obviously very inconsiderately moving, it looks like it's some equine version of a scene from The Ring or something like that, where the faces are just blurred out because they've been moving so fast. It's, it's slightly terrifying. Um, yeah. Terrifying, good. terrifying, but good, I think. So, yeah, Alex, thanks for joining in with the Flickr and uh, thanks for joining in on Instagram and hope to see more of your photos soon. Uh, now, uh, Graham, I believe your first shout out, in fact, I think both the shout outs you've got today are our firsts for the Sunny 16 podcast. What you got? Well, they certainly are, mate. Uh, first off, uh, we want to say a big thank you to um, the iTunes user over in Canada. Thank you, Canadian iTunes user. The username is Subbury1234456789. Um, we strongly suspect 
this is our, our friend Dave. Uh, oh, geez, he, he never got back to me to correct me on this. Uh, Dave, we w- we will Knievel. Um, thank you so much. Um, if it is indeed you, if we have two li- listeners in Canada, that seems unlikely. But um, thank you very much to Subri one two three four four five six seven eight nine for that lovely five star iTunes review, um, blazing a trail showing people how to do it because they don't seem to be getting this message because come on people i mean i I would ask do we need to beg we have begged (laughs) please listen to this begging um we are very needy people i am especially needy people um but anyway thank you very much for that the other one the other first is we got a letter it's a letter it's a letter uh, we've got these new microphones. Actually, before I do the letter, I want to say a big shout out to you, Aid, because listeners may have noticed last week and um, hopefully this week even more so that the audio quality has taken quite a bump. And that is because Aid has very thoughtfully got us decent quality mics to use. So now you can listen to the quality of our voice getting real soft and smooth. Uh, no, I told you not to do that. It gives because, me shivers. <laughs> because Aid hates me doing this. Um, but it's great, and hopefully it'll make the podcast, well, I was going to say far more listenable, at least technically far more listenable. I mean, it's going to still be the same bullshit it ever was, but uh, at least it's clearer bullshit now. Yeah, so, it'll only hurt your ears because of the content not because of the technical sound quality (laughs) yeah so thank you very much that aid Uh, oh well you're welcome mate really appreciate it um getting back to what i was talking about uh, oh come on phone on your turn um we got a letter from jake van vlier again i apologize jake if i'm pronouncing your name wrong jacob van vlier who we've mentioned before that's sith lord huggles on instagram um and he got in touch and well i'll read you his letter okay cozy everybody Hey guys, uh, on episode 13, Graham was talking about having trouble scanning his 4x5 negs on his scanner, which is true, I do. We discussed the fact that my Epson V500 does not scan big enough to do 4x5. Just wanted to let you know of a method I've used in the past for scanning using a macro lens and the photo merge function in Photoshop and Lightroom. Uh, he gives a link to a Petapixel write-up, which well, I haven't had a chance to look at yet because I've been away, but I certainly will do. Uh, basically take pictures or scans of parts of your negative at one-to-one making sure you cover the entire negative if anything take more photos than less import the photos into Lightroom select them all and go to photo photo merge or just merge in Photoshop if you have it installed and it'll do all the stitching for you Uh, it does a really great job and is simple but it can take a while to run depending on the size and quantity of pictures you have I've gotten 140 megapixels scans from a 6x7 <laughs> Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, for reference, I used a 60mm micro nickel, uh, which goes to one to one without extensions, and a light pad I picked up on Amazon fairly cheap. Check out my Instagram for a shot. So I will certainly be doing that. And that's really useful information um, because, yeah, this is a problem I'm going to have to solve. And I've not mucked around with the photo merge. I didn't even know that Lightroom could do photo merge. I'm going to have to have a look at that. Um, and I assume that Photoshop Elephants can do it as well. Um, but it's if it's that easy, that's fantastic news. Also, the idea of getting a light pad... Um, it's something I've wanted to pick up for a while, so I'm going to have a look on Amazon for that as well. So, um, Jake, I might hit you up on that to find out what you actually got and then how you got on with it. But thank you very much for the letter. Uh, it's 
fantastic one to know that our email account's working and two to get a really helpful letter um always good to hear from people and if anybody else has any more helpful advice uh, i would say questions but i struggle to think of any questions that um we could usefully answer but <laughs> give us a try anyway um pop quiz geography anything like that we we love it we, we answer anything and as i have long said to people when giving talks in the past any facts that i don't know we will give you a convincing lie to take home with you so it's it's easier than googling um you just have to make it up uh, whilst we're recording it's fine <laughs> Oh, absolutely. You know what? Just on the subject of Google, because whilst travelling around in the wilds of West Wales this week, that's a lot of alliteration there, um, trying to use the the Google Maps and uh, navigation, they just give up after a while. You can just tell the game, I, I, don't, know, I don't know where these roads go. Uh, uh, oh, oh, I've lost the signal. So, sorry, signal's lost. Like, you didn't lose the bloody signal. You just went, ah, shit, well, I don't know where I am, and gave up. Oh, unbelievable. Thanks for nothing, Google. Google <laughs> robot lady let me down real bad this week. Okay, good, good ranting, good <laughs> ranting. I, I think uh, as as often happens when we get towards uh, this point in the podcast, we kind of ramble off topic, or or rant off topic, or just simply drive straight off the road. And that is always a sign to me that it's time to stop. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, I'm going to start breaking out my uh, Tom Jones singing impersonations. Well, do you know what? You went away a morose duck. You came back a delightful Delilah. And yeah. on that bombshell, as, <laughs> as a, a wise but slightly crazy man once said, um, I'll see you later, folks. Uh, have a good week and we'll speak to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody. Have a lovely photographic week. Ugh.